0: It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. So I got to talk about buy now, pay later, or what's known in the industry as pay for. four. There are new developments with pay for four that I want you to know so that you protect yourself moving forward. And I want to talk about medical debt. Medical debt has become shocking because medical debt's been a problem for a while. It's become an even bigger problem in the U.S. And I'm sorry I sound so negative today. So let me talk about something positive. The unbelievable quality of the writers that we are privileged to have to serve you at Clark.com. People who aren't on deadlines where they just have to put out a half-thought-out product. We make sure that what we submit to you is thoroughly researched and is designed to be of service to you first, last, and always. Check out our newsletters at clark.com newsletters so you can see what we've got going on for you, day by day, and subscribe if you wish. And if it bores you, unsubscribe later, right? But I think you'll find that it really empowers you. So, paying for—I've talked about a firm and the different paying for's for a while, and the problems people are having that a third of people that are at a register or online. Are stretching payments out. And they, many times they'll say, no interest for easy payments. And then life happens and people don't make a payment. And now more and more of that's being reported to credit bureaus and can really hurt you. Well, now I've seen two reports about a problem I never thought about. Okay. So you buy something on a buy now, pay later, a pay in four. And for whatever reason, you need to return it, or it comes broken, or whatever. How do you get your money back? So, with a credit card, it's pretty easy, right? You don't get a credit, you dispute it. How in the world do you do it with paying for? Well, one of the stories I read, and I don't remember where, but it was really, I mean, just it would make you tear your hair out because. The retailers and the paying for people haven't gotten their act together on this yet. So here you are, they're coming in, they're pulling money out of your checking account every two weeks or whatever it is, and you don't even have the item. You may have returned the item or it never showed up or it's broken or whatever. And they're still taking your money. And you're contacting the retailer, and they say, oh, the money needs to come back from the pay and four and you're contacting the pay and four and they say, oh, the retailer's got to do this, that, or the other, or the refund comes from them. All you know is you're out your money. You got nothing for it. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is trying to figure out what rules, regulations, requirements to impose on the pay and for industry, but in the meantime, you're left holding the bag Owing money for something you don't even have or doesn't work. Wow. I mean, it's a mess. Imagine you buy an item of clothing, you take it home, you try it on, it doesn't fit. Normally, you pay by cash, you pay by credit card, you pay by debit card, you go back with the item, they give you your money back, right? Or they kill the charge, give you credit, whatever it is, right? Right? How does it work with paying four? you take it back and you still are being billed for the four payments. This is nuts. I know it's so easy. And you know, Apple was like, Hey, this is great. We're going to do this too. Why is Apple doing it? Well, because Apple is a premium price product. And there are a lot of people who want to have the latest, this, that, or the other Apple, and they can't afford it. They just don't have the money to pay whatever. So Apple giving you buy now, pay later, and it's their own thing, so they're not relying on some third-party financial institution to approve you for risk for credit risk. Apple's just taking it on because they want to get their merchandise sold. So if they're trying to sell you the new macbook with the m2 chip and right now you got an m1 chip and you're like well now the new thing's the m2 chip so i got to have the m2 because that's the cool thing well what if you don't have the money to go from the m1 to the m2 oh no problem we're going to just let you pay it over time know that this is the whole purpose of the whole buy now pay later or paying for Business is to get you to make buying decisions that are emotional instead of reasoned. Oh, I don't have to worry about it. I only have to come up with this much money, not that much money. And we trick ourselves to thinking we're going to be okay and we're going to be able to pay for it. Do not fall for it. And obviously, eventually, you know, the lawsuits will come, or the feds will crack down on them or whatever. And the problem with the returns and the broken stuff and the undelivered stuff, that'll be fixed. But in the meantime, it's a fix, is a mess for you. So these things are too hot to handle. When you get to that register and they say, would you like to pay over time? Or you're online and you're shopping, they say, would you like to pay over time? You want to buy an airline ticket over time. You want to pay for anything over time the answer is no 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 okay i can't believe i'm going to say this using a credit card when you don't have the money is a better choice than using a buy now pay later or a pay in for app or a payment service enough said krista
1: This first question is from Chad in Ohio. I heard on the Consumer Reports podcast that you can connect Venmo to a credit card. I've not heard Clark talk about this and I listened to his podcast religiously. The Consumer Reports report said that by connecting it to a credit card, it provides the credit card's insurance for money transfers, limiting your loss and exposure. Could Clark provide his thoughts and recommendations regarding this? Chad, that is
0: a current, I'd say that that is a, Learned legal theory. I don't know that that has stood the test of time, but it is an additional potential protection. When you tie in a Venmo payment to a credit card, you're paying essentially for that insurance because you're typically going to pay 3% on there. Yeah, credit card merchant fees. And it is looked at as kind of a form of insurance when you're paying someone who's not a family member or friend. I stick, though, with what I've said over the years is that using Venmo or Cash App is best done for settling up or giving money to a family member or friend. I'm unconvinced yet of these as platforms that are well thought out enough and safe enough for a consumer to use to pay bills to strangers. And by the way, my favorite whipping boy you're not even going to say it. Nope. You know let me say Zell. <laughs> they still haven't responded to any of my offers for the Zell people to go on the podcast. With haven't me.
1: heard from anyone. Not a word. Not in your um, TV work either.
0: Nope. Oh. Um and boy, I I've, I've been hard on Zell on TV too. Anyway, there's more stuff going on with Zell that's really bad, ugly. And you need to shut down Zell on your checking account your bank account, your credit union account, because Venmo and Cash App have their problems, but it's nothing like the problems people are having with their accounts being wiped out with the Zelle issues. Zelle is poison to your pocketbook. Enough said for now.
1: And this is from Greg in Pennsylvania. I'm looking into refinancing options for my residential home because I'm in the process of getting a divorce. Oh, I'm sorry. It seems mortgage companies just want to sell a product and not give advice on the best product for my circumstance. I'd have to pay off my soon-to-be ex-spouse for the equity we've accumulated throughout our marriage, so a cash-out mortgage option is preferred. I'm going to be sad to let the current mortgage go as the rate is 3.375% fixed to today's mortgage rates. How can I get my spouse off the title of the house, pay her equity while not shooting myself in the foot? Are assumption mortgages still a thing? And what about a HELOC?
0: So Greg, you're in a bit of a bind right now because your 3.375% loan is so awesome, but she is on the mortgage with you. So if she were calling, I'd say, Hey, you need to make sure that's refinanced. So you're not on the hook. However, if she will let you keep that mortgage in place, you don't want to give that up and have to go from 3.375 up to uh, nearly 6%. It's a huge additional cost to you. Plus, you need additional money out to pay her. If she will allow the existing first mortgage to remain, you're thinking on the right basis, looking potentially at a HELOC, For the additional money you need to buy her out, if you have enough equity in the home, or looking at a credit union product known as a home equity loan, home equity loan, and they tell you, most credit unions will tell you on their website, you need to borrow on a HELOC or a home equity loan up to 70% of value, 80% of value, 85%, 90%. They'll tell you what the rate is you'll have to pay for getting that either HELOC money or the home equity loan. The home equity loan money, if I didn't say, tends to be for three cycles, either five year, 10 year, or 15 year at fixed rates. The HELOC is a loan granted for a period of time, that will be stated when you initially get it, usually a long period of time, 10 or 20 years, it has a floating interest rate that can continually change. So I'm looking right now at one of the credit unions.
1: Fixed rate
0: home equity loan. loan, 6.625 five-year, 6.7510-year, 6.87515-year. So you would take on the higher rate on the money you needed for the buyout But you'd be able to preserve the main borrowing on the 3.375, which is where you really want to try to be. Otherwise, you do have to do a cash-out refi if she will not agree to allow that original first mortgage to remain in place.
1: From Gloria in California, recently my husband was pumping gas at Costco when a lady approached my side of the car and asked to borrow my membership card. She said she had left hers at home. I said, no, sorry. Then she made it clear she meant just the membership card, not the credit card. I told her that mine are one and the same. She very cheerfully said that's okay and approached the lady sitting in the car across the way who immediately handed over her card. First, I'm wondering if this is a common scheme to obtain cheap gas from Costco without being a member, but I would also like to know the following. If Costco discovers that you have loaned your card to someone else, is there any penalty for having done so, such as canceling your membership?
0: Yeah, so Costco's membership rules prohibit you From giving your card to someone else knowingly. And it's not just at the gas. They don't want somebody coming inside who you've lent your card to, who turns out to maybe have sticky fingers and they're shoplifting or whatever. They want to know who their members are. And also, Costco lives off the membership fees. You know, they run the business as a break even. And all the profit each year for Costco pretty much is from the membership fees. So they're, are clear prohibitions against it. But you realize, though, the real danger at the pump. Gas prices are so high. Most Costco members have the two-in-one card that's the credit card and the membership card, and you tap it at the pump, and then you're charged for that person's gas. So on all different levels, I don't like this, and I think you did the right thing by, I know this sounds bad, I, the right thing by not helping somebody else, yeah. I think it was the right thing. Uh, I meant to mention this. I completely forgot. So I was at Sam's Club the other day and it was a deal we had on Clark deals where you could join Sam's Club for $45, get 45 back. Mm-hmm. It wasn't exclusive to us. It was a deal that a lot of people had written about. So I I can't figure out what's going on. There's this line of people out into the parking lot at Sam's. I'm like, what is going on? What's in short supply that people are in this giant line to get into Sam's? And then I realized they had two lines, one for members to go on in. And then I asked, what's this other line for? And she said, it's for people buying the membership deal. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Now, I don't think you would have ever stood in that line. Christy, <laughs> I don't it know. Like it was maybe 90 minutes long, two wow. hours long. I'll stand
1: in a line to save a good amount of money. I would. It was $45
0: you saved. you paid. So you paid the $45 membership. You got 45 off, but it shows the up demand. And of course they were doing it because Amazon prime day was mm-hmm. coming up, but the membership is something that they try to get you in. Cause once you're in, maybe you stay in and uh, Costco, is more expensive than Sam's to join. And when they offer a membership deal, it's not that much of a deal off the membership because again, they make all their money from those membership fees. Now let's talk money, medical debts. Medical debts are just bruising people's lives so badly. And they're even causing people who are trying to recover from something so much stress. We got to talk about this. We've heard about people with medical debt forever, and when you think about how bad the problem's gotten with what's been going on with the hospital systems in major urban areas of the United States, it's out of control. Uh, Over 100 million Americans now have medical debt that's messing up their lives, and because of the laws in a number of states, the hospitals are being incredibly aggressive, and are able, under the laws in certain states, to be far more aggressive going after people on medical debt than any other debt somebody may have, to the point of taking away their home, uh, taking away their car, any of their possessions. I mean, it's unreal. The hospitals have become very powerful lobbying organizations in states, and so what's going on in America is hospitals realized there was not an advantage to being a nationwide player, to having hospitals all over America. But what was valuable was to become a dominant force in a metro area. So in city after city after city, hospitals are playing a modern version of Monopoly. And they're buying up their competitors in a metro area. And the biggest metro areas they're buying up more than a dozen of their competitors. And so you're ending up in large metro areas, typically with two to four major hospital systems that also then in turn buy doctor practices, buy every phase of medicine, diagnostic centers, everything. So it's all designed to use that market strength to raise prices to a phenomenal amount and use the medical practices as feeders into other parts of the hospital system. Then you add on top of it that hospitals have defied federal law and not issued clear price lists as required by Congress because they don't want people shopping around. you got to know this is how the game is played. And that's how we've ended up with over 100 million Americans having their lives crushed by medical debt. And here's the irony of it. I don't know the exact percent, but a big percent of those are people who actually have health insurance, not people who don't have health insurance because of all the out-of-pocket. So if you are someone who has a medical condition, but it is not life and death emergency urgent to that moment. you got to know that this is how it plays. This is how it works. And your responsibility is to shop around. Whether you have health coverage or you don't, you've got to shop around. Because the price differences are so huge from one place to another, one facility to another, And in particular, going to independent facilities. I've talked for years about why an MRI at a hospital is from 5 to 15 times more expensive than an MRI at a freestander independent facility. In fact, any diagnostic testing, the hospitals mark them up 5 to 15 times what you could call street price, where you could go in with cash and paying less than your share out-of-pocket of being on insurance is what you would pay at a hospital. And it's just one example of where these, in many markets, they are shared monopolies, often of two major hospital systems. Some markets, again, will have three or four. But the idea is they're all playing the same game. They're trying to squeeze insurance companies in negotiations Costs then are shifted to you. And if you don't have insurance, man, it's unreal. The other thing is that if you are treated for an emergency or any other thing at a nonprofit hospital, the nonprofit hospital has a legal obligation to provide a certain amount of charity care. If you were somebody who's tapped out broke, what the hospitals do is they don't even talk to you about the charity care that they're required to offer. They instead turn you over to a collector to come eat you up. So these hospital systems, the nonprofits, have and see they're doing the nonprofit thing so they can pay their administrators five or $10 million a year and pay, but still not pay any taxes on the money the hospital's making. It's a scam. The thing you should do is the hospitals have what are known as patient advocates or ombudsman or something like that. You go to them and you say, hey, here's the deal, I'm broke. What can we do here? But the most important thing is when it's not an emergency, not avoid care, which can be even more deadly to you. I mean, it can cost you your life more deadly. I want you to make sure you are protecting yourself Afterwards, because the stress of later having your life ruined financially because you never knew the hospital was going to charge you $140,000 for something, it might be $15,000 somewhere else. It's your job when it's not an imminent life and death emergency to do the hard digging, to do the hard work, to shop around and see what alternatives are available because the cavalry. Is not riding to your rescue. But remember, anytime it's a nonprofit hospital, they have a duty to the community and to you if you don't have the money to work out something with you other than trying to destroy your life financially. Krista?
1: Okay, this question is from Heather in Ohio. I wanted to know if having a student in high school contributing to a Roth IRA would impact their FAFSA financial aid for college. It
0: will not,
1: because money
0: you have in a retirement account does not count anywhere I've ever seen in your qualification for financial aid. That is not considered to be an asset that can be used for eligible college expenses because that money is specifically segregated and set aside for retirement
1: and this is from eric in florida my wife and i make about one hundred and forty thousand dollars annually our first child is set to go to school and we would like to send him to a private school that is close to our home is there a tuition assistance or voucher program we can apply for to help offset the cost also if we do pay out of pocket can we claim it on our taxes and either get all or part refunded back to us So
0: as far as money for a child going to school, you're already at the point of the child going to school. At your income level, you're not going to qualify for a lot of tuition assistance programs that would exist, except if your state does offer a generalized voucher program that is not based on being low income. And I'm not aware of any such thing in the state of Florida. Uh, Vouchers are going to be more potentially uh, routine in the future based on likely decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court. And it will be more possible that families sending kids to private school K-12 through will be eligible to use voucher money to send your kid to a private school regardless of income. But that is not where things are today. So as far as the best way for you to save going forward, if you're planning right from the get-go, right from kindergarten, first grade, for your child, your first child to go to private school, and that's your long-term intention, you want to be putting as much money as you can into a low-cost 529 plan. Florida's is set up as a prepaid tuition plan for college, so you'd have to look at another plan on my 529 plan guide at Clark.com. Maybe the Utah plan would be good, because you can use up to $10,000 of earnings from a 529 plan tax-free to pay for private school K-12. through So if you and your wife, Eric, start shoving money into a 529 plan. It gives you the ability to have money grow over these years and use it in later years towards your child's uh, private schooling education, or later on use it towards college, and all the earnings you'll have are yours tax-free, which is an awesome advantage.
1: And this is from James in Pennsylvania. My wife religiously takes your advice. You advise setting your AC to the low 72 during the night. The problem is she locks and forgets to set it back in the morning, thus running all day at 72. My AC utility bill is up now 50% crushing me and I can't get her to stop. Please do not give advice like this (laughs) for my heating bills this winter.
0: Okay. So James, we got to talk. Because you want a Nest thermostat or something equivalent immediately. Because with it, you set and forget. You set the thermostat to go down to a lower temperature at sleeping time. And then at normal wake-up time, the temperature goes back up automatically. So nobody has to remember to go adjust the thermostat. And then when it gets back to evening time and it's getting close to bedtime, Temperature goes back down. And so that big increase in your AC bill, will most of it will go away if you get a Nest thermostat or one of its competitors. And you can even adjust it on your phone with these devices with a simple app. Now, I am not capable of installing one of these by myself. Many people are. In my case, I had to hire somebody to come in. Uh, which makes me really lame. But if you're really capable at doing things around the house, you'll be able to install one of these artificial intelligence thermostats yourself. You'll make back the money from one so fast, it'll shock you. And I'm really sorry that I caused you this problem by making your wife more comfortable when she sleeps. And I want to thank you so much for listening today's podcast i hope the rest of your day is absolutely great